0: So, I was reflecting on our journey together <laughs> over the past few days. <laughs> over the past few days, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, healthy, especially healthy. <laughs> um, on our journey, the past few days, so we started with uh, practicing loving kindness for benefactor and dear friend, where it was easy, the easy category. Sometimes we wish them together as the easy category, just where it's easy and flows with ease. And then we move to ourselves. Um, and the meta for ourselves, loving kindness, care, friendliness for ourselves, in some cases, it became compassion for ourselves, where it, it, um, where the metta really came across, the, the care for ourselves acro- came across some hurt and difficulty. It became self-compassion. And uh, we practiced that in a couple of ways. One was receiving, just receiving, receiving from our easy being, And another way that I also offered was um, was everyone who just like me, so tapping into common humanity, everyone who just like me suffers in this way. May all of us be free from the suffering, or may all of us be safe, etc., etc. And and on this note, actually, I was um, reflecting that this uh, practice that I've offered in some of the practice meetings um, to some of you, and I thought I would mention it <coughs> for something. If if the practice of um, self-compassion is something that's really calling to you, there's another beautiful practice um, called circle of benefactors, where in your mind, in your heart, you assemble a circle of benefactors, dear friends, people who care about you. Um, and and this this group this circle can be um, people who are living, not living um, can be um, people who have inspired you, you've read their books, um, teachers, mentors could could be um, public figures as we've mentioned before could also be archetypes, archetypes. you can use Buddha in your circle you can use a being of light in your circle that just loves and and shares care without any discretion so assembling a circle of benefactors and having yourself sit in the middle and just receive just receive it's a beautiful practice which i've used a lot in um for myself especially when it comes to compassion really allowing yourself and and the difficulty sorrow sadness grief just to be held in in a circle so i wanted to mention that and the credit for that practice um actually i learned that um from from a um and i've adapted it my own version when i do a guided meditation of it um there is an audio of it available um and Uh, Lama Makransky. So I actually um, I I will include it in the resources that you will receive after the retreat. We'll ask our dear registrar to send you email with with the resources. So yeah. So I I found that a wonderful resource for me. Um, We'll be sharing it with you. So the next stop on our journey, the next bus stop on our journey was when we uh, moved to the neutral person, um, stand in for all of humanity. Has anyone already fallen in love with their neutral person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that can happen. I remember um, another retreat, I was doing a neutral person. On one retreat, I told you I. I, I, uh, I um, uh, used the uh, the lady who worked at the laundromat, and that was sweet. And on another retreat, I used another retreatant, a young woman. I didn't know. I mean, that's why I, she was my neutral person. She was sitting on the other end of the hall. I didn't have really strong feelings about her one way or the other. And And it's pretty amazing. By the end of the retreat, I had totally fallen in love with with this wo- young woman. She was like my my daughter, my sister, my best friend. I was sitting and walking her and s- watching her walk like as if she walked on water and just like oh may you be safe, may you be happy, dear one. She really had become a dear one. I couldn't wait until the end of the retreat to just see her and give her a hug and say oh, you are my neutral person. <laughs> She knew what I meant when I said, You're my <laughs> neutral person. Oh, that's so sweet. Still remember, yeah, just the, yeah, sweet, very sweet. That's why sometimes they say it's helpful uh, to, to choose someone the same sex. <laughs> well, this is a comp, it's complex, depends. <laughs> for me being straight you know (laughs) know, it's complicated anyway just do whatever works for you (laughs) choose a neutral person that's going to work for you that's funny it's actually it's so interesting you know these classical teachings so um, I wasn't going to talk about this but you know in the classical teachings again because um, you know the classical teachings old pretty pretty straight um, (laughs) literally straight um, so in the classical teachings they actually suggested not to use um any in, in any category anyone of the opposite sex. Um and and of course, you know, here you can, you know, use anyone you want, it doesn't matter, we're pretty uh, easy about that. But specifically I think what what part of the classical teaching, because if the practice of metta, as we've talked about, is a concentration practice and one can get into absorptions and jhanas uh, with the practice of of metta and in the classical teachings it is said that if you choose a um an object who's um of a sex that you tend to be attracted to let me put it that way um instead of opposite sex of some someone uh, sex you tend to get attracted to then um such feelings of desire can rise that that the practice of concentration and absorption can get pretty complicated. So, so if you ever decide to practice absorption and concentration with metta, um, if you're bisexual, it'll be complicated. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> do your best. <laughs> it's interesting to interpret or try my best and failing to interpret these classical teachings in, in, in this modern world, which is not so, so, so straight. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad it's not so straight. So, so, yeah. So if I've said anything unskillfully without realizing, please forgive me. I'm still trying to figure out my own way with, with this teaching and the classical teachings and, and, and merging them. So (sighs) So then on our next stop, um, uh, we stopped this morning with the uh, we, um, we practiced with the quote unquote difficult person or the, as, um, as Donald was saying the person who's difficult for me or actually I go even one step further and um, the person I'm having difficulty with right now because in some cases the person I'm having difficulty with right now could actually have been a dear friend and it has happened for me. A dear friend has became the person I was having difficulty with. You can drop the right now. It's already a mouthful. So you usually say the person I'm having difficulty with or we're having difficulty with because that again it makes makes it kind of transient. It's someone you're having di- difficulty with right now and maybe later in the future they'll become your dear friend again. They're not the person who's just inherently difficult for you, right? It's just right now you're having difficulty with them. Another person today in the um in in a practice meeting, um the the term they use is their difficulty muse. I like that. Difficulty muse. It's kind of uplifting. It's a muse. It's like... So with that practice, maybe seeing, um, maybe starting to see their humanity. I wonder how many people have started to see the humanity of their difficulty muse. Yeah. Oh, lovely. That's great. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah just like me just like me that's also a good phrase by the way to bring in just like me just like me and it's so interesting I think this practice is um, these practices are are pretty amazing they're pretty really revolutionary how how our hearts and mind can really transform and change and really the capacity of the human heart the capacity of the human mind to care for and to 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 love without strings attached um, someone that we don't even know care care for people who um, you know, we just kind of take it for granted that people who are close to us are our dear beings are people that our heart extends to. But have you considered that's pretty random too. Really whom we choose to care about is pretty random in a way. Um, the heart has such an amazing capacity to care and to love above and beyond what we really appreciate, um. And allow ourselves to experience. And this practice really shows us just a little bit, just like an inkling, a little bit of light comes in. Like, wow, this is possible. This is possible. And that's one reason why I really like the neutral person practice and difficult person, um, person I'm having difficulty with right now. It's um, this point is it's h. l. Mencken, who's uh, known um for for um kind of biting our satirist um sentences the one way he puts it actually this this so this quote about um, about sexual love about um uh, 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 about romantic love so he says Love is the delusion that one woman or man differs from another. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to see it. <laughs> but, but, there, I mean, there is a truth in that in a way, but he's kind of putting it in a little negative, negative terms, but, but, but there is a truth of, in a way, there is, um, it's a common humanity or common humanity. So speaking of what this practice can really show us the the depth and the capacity of our own human heart and our capacity to care and love um one of the things that's written in the classical teachings in the visuddhimagga in the path of purification is kind of a like a final exam of metta is, is, um, is boundaries dissolving. Boundaries dissolving. That is when one does this practice for a long time in a dedicated way, very dedicated way for a long time, then the boundaries between yourself, your dear person, your, um, neutral person and the difficult person, um, start to dissolve. And I had read about this and I thought, yeah, right. Are you kidding? Like how how can, and and the way actually it's set up, uh, in Viswiti is something like if the bandits came and demanded one person to be given up, um, to, you know, to be killed, um, the question is the test is whom would you choose? Whom would you choose? Well, we think, of course, the difficult person. Like, take, the, please, take the <laughs> person I'm having difficulty with off with their head. That's what we would think, right? And and the the um, the teaching is that a point will come that one will not be able to choose between any of these four: yourself, your dear person, the neutral person, and. The person you're having difficulty with, and I had read this, and I thought, okay, this sounds like an interesting idea. and I can't quite imagine how this would happen. And I, I, I thought, you know, there might be just a little bit of inkling left. Come on, it just, just like, just a tiny bit of inkling. So, so it 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 was completely surprising to me. Really, it floored me. It was after a long retreat where I had been doing metta practice for a long time. And at the end I thought, okay, let me try try on this final exam on myself. And, like, I'm sure there will be some inkling. And it floored me. It just, I couldn't choose. I really couldn't choose. I, I couldn't, I c- the, the life of myself versus the person that I was having difficulty with, her, versus my my neutral person, or the or the dear person that that I loved it just it, it had become the same there was no ba- it floored me i mean this practice is so amazing it it it, com- it continues to surprise me it continues to surprise me the practice continues to surprise me and my own mind my own heart continues to surprise me just it, it's 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 amazing. It's so Yeah, th- these practices are really profound. They show us capacity that we have as human beings that we don't even know exists that we are even capable of. That's even possible for us, for me. Really? Oh no. And again, please don't believe what I'm telling you. Figure it out for yourself. Find out for yourself. Practice for yourself diligently. And see how it changes you. Then, so we continued on our journey. This morning we touched in to the practice of forgiveness. A beautiful practice. I'm so glad Donald brought it in today. And especially with the formulation and the fourth part added. So so just as a reminder, as if you need any reminders, the first part, the first offering, I've summarized it in any way that I've harmed you, I ask for your forgiveness. The second part, in any way that I have been harmed by you, I offer you forgiveness. The third In any way that I have harmed myself, I offer myself forgiveness. And the fourth one, which I really appreciate is, may I come to accept pain, suffering, confusion, and ignorance to be part of the journey, my own journey and the journeys of others. I offer forgiveness for the way that things are. And have been that is so profound it's really as, as Donald was saying is the wisdom domain dimension that's coming in that we're bringing into to to this practice of the heart and also it relates to equanimity because the third that this fourth aspect this fourth aspect really brings in a wider we- view as I was talking about equanimity, upekka, this bird's eye view of causes and conditions and things that are happening and not taking it so personally and seeing, you know, again, having a a much wider, much more spacious view of pain, suffering, confusion, ignorance, and this whole journey, my journey and journey of others, all of that, seeing all of that, from from high up above really brings in equanimity spaciousness it's like pouring cool water of wisdom on the flames of suffering of oh it should be this way and one thing I wanted to also bring in is the f- the first three aspects are relational it's about relation to others relation um, to ourselves, hurting others, others having hurt us, us having hurt ourselves. And the relational aspect is just as important as the wisdom aspect, because as someone noted today in one of the practice meetings, um, you know, the, the third one alone, we can think that, oh, the third one, oh, it's all okay. It's all fine don't need to, you know, go through the first three because, you know, the last one is enough, it covers, but, but actually it's both. And both are just as important, the first three and the last one. So I think that's a really important point to keep, to keep in mind, um, that, We don't want, with, the, with, with, the, with bringing this, this, the fourth aspect of forgiveness with, with equanimity, we don't want to, to get into spiritual bypass and not engage in offering forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, and, and, and seeing where we have hurt ourselves. So I think both dimensions are very important. So the last one does not obviate the need for the first three So I'll say a little more about that because I think that does come in more. This, um, in terms of wisdom and compassion, really, and and wi- wisdom and metta, wisdom and metta slash compassion. And you might have heard that in in Tibetan tradition, wisdom and compassion are thought of as the wings, as the two wings on the bird. And the the bird of awakening, that the bird of awakening can only fly if if they have both wings, one wing, just wisdom or just compassion alone won't do. Imagine a bird with, you know, just one, one wing, it doesn't, not only can it fly, it will go in circles. So you, too, will go in circles if you just have one and not the other. I like this other saying I've heard Joseph Goldstein say that um, practicing wisdom without compassion is like riding a bicycle that's out of air. It's a pretty rough ride. It's a pretty rough ride. You, you, You get there, kind of, but it's a really rough ride. Wisdom without compassion, and also Tibetans have a term for for compassion without wisdom. They call it idiot compassion. That kind of explains what it is. Idiot compassion. So it's a type of compassion that doesn't have any any wisdom in it. It's it's. Um, so really, it's it when practicing metta, practicing these hard qualities, metta, loving-kindness, compassion, it's so important to keep the wisdom aspect in it. It's so important to keep that in it and, and not have a feeling, that not, you know, there's some blocks actually, there's some, some um, pitfalls um, that one can fall into, If without wisdom, one is this feeling of should I should be nice? I should be so kind to everyone and be a doormat, and and that's that's again (coughs) kindness without compassion, without wisdom, without knowing how to take care of yourself and really how to take care of others. And in fact, metta and compassion sometimes can look pretty fierce, can look like you're setting a boundary, but it's it's really good for the other person. Like with a child, you know, you'll say, "Oh, okay, here you want all, okay, you want, you want cookies." Oh, I'm so kind. I'm so loving. I'm going to give you the whole five box of cookies for you to eat tonight. Oh, you have a stomachache. Oh, you know that's not exactly wise love, right? A, a much more loving, a much more wise loving gesture would be okay two cookies is enough i love you and this is all i'm going to give you right so so compassion care love metta might look limiting but that's the aspect of of wisdom that can come in another thing that can happen with um with metta is or, or or a pitfall is um, the you know I'm so developed nothing bothers me you know up I'm I'm up in the clouds it's you know it's all okay again a sense of spiritual bypass it's all okay I'm so developed I'm very being very kind whereas uh, it's kind of churning inside and it's not really all okay um, and sometimes actually people go go inside trying to deal with all of it internally without having a conversation with other people, becoming conflict avoidant. Oh, it's not Buddhist to have conflict. It's not Buddhist to, to be angry. It's not Buddhist to be upset. And it's quite the opposite, actually welcoming in when there is conflict. And there will always be conflict. There will always be conflict. To embrace it with wisdom and with kindness, the other person, yourself what is happening there's all there is so much we can learn from conflict from each other we can learn from about ourselves when we work through conflict um, and difficulties in a kind wise way it's it can be our biggest teacher so. So please don't think that, yes, a heart full of metta means you won't be upset, you won't have conflict, you won't be angry. None of that. And also, similarly, one fear of metta or fear fear of compassion is letting yourself or letting uh, letting others off the hook. Um... And similarly, again, it's really this aspect of wisdom that, that needs to come into to compassion. So please don't lose the wisdom factor as you practice um, compassion, metta. And I'm using, by the way, the word compassion and metta right now a little intercha- loosely, interchangeably. But heart practices is, is what, what I really mean. Kindness, metta. So what we really lose with, with metta is not so much the wisdom, but it's that reactivity. It's it's being caught in a in a tight view and an idea what what a heart full of metta should look like. Instead, being authentic and really embracing what is arising and what is happening. And letting go of that the, that caughtness, the um uh, the reactivity really frees up one to to act with a lot more wisdom. So say if you're work in a work situation and you have a colleague and your colleague didn't meet the deadline, you know, idiot compassion would be, Oh, it's all okay, oh deadlines are all relative, you know, that, that would probably not be very helpful for what you're doing but but also if you're completely reactive and don't see the humanity of the person, that's not helpful either. But instead, if you can work together to come up with a way to move forward without losing your temper and becoming reactive, that's really the metta and wisdom working together in daily life. Another fear of practicing metta is, oh, I'm afraid I will become too emotional. It's, I will feel too much. So, it is true. You will feel more. You will feel more. It is not uncommon for people to become more tender, to become more affected by the news of the world. And we'll say that more when, on the last day when you're going off and we'll give you advice for it. Going back to your lives and and taking care of yourselves because you will be more tender, not just when you leave, but there will there might be more sensitivity emotionally just feeling more and that's not necessarily a bad thing and to keep in mind that feeling more doesn't mean being too emotional they're not the same thing they're not equivalent because together with with practicing metta, there is that stability that we've talked about, the stability of equanimity. Ah, having the bigger perspective that allows you this stability to, to, to be with the emotions as well as the ability to soothe yourself with self-metta, self-compassion. That is an amazing tool for calming and soothing oneself to be available. So you have tools. You have tools for holding and being more available and feeling more. Your capacity to feel more will increase. And I think that's a good thing. That's being more human. That's being more more tenderly, more vulnerably human. It's a capacity to be more, feel more. Khalil Gibran says, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked and the self-same well from which your laughter arises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And (coughs) And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And wouldn't it be lovely to contain more, to be able to contain more joy, the ability to contain more sorrow? So speaking of wisdom and metta, karuna, compassion. So are the heart practices at odds with wisdom? This is something that Donald also touched on yesterday. (coughs) And we thought it would be good to bring it out a little more actually. (coughs) Because as Donald was bringing up some... um, um, some ways that the two could be at odds. We figured we're into, you might be introducing more puzzlement into your mind. So I just wanted to bring to talk about that a little more. So, so on some level it might seem that they are at odds in some way. Okay. Wisdom says it's all empty. It's, it's phenomena is empty. I'm empty. It's all empty. And here I am wishing well for all of this empty phenomena. Like w- what? How, how do these practices go together? Okay. You did it. I'm now doing it even more confusing them more. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also it's it's interesting because in, in Visuddhimaga in the path of purification there are many practices where um you know the as the mind gets concentrated and settled, you know, the mind can <coughs> the mind sees the body as dissolving, dissolving completely into into um what's called rupa kalapas, like the elemental elements of the body and mind. And so especially there you think, okay you're you know you're made up of quarks and electrons and neutrons and you're wishing well for the electrons and neutrons like it just doesn't make these practice like how do you make sense of them so so yes on the ultimate reality level phenomena is empty empty phenomena rolling on and on and on a sense of ease in that, freedom. And yet, on the relative level, we exist. We are in this room. We are sitting at IRC in a room, listening to a Dharma talk, giving a Dharma talk. We exist. We suffer. We go through our lives. We love. We have joy, sorrows. We die. We are born. All of that is also true. It's both and. So not to give up the relative level. It's juicy. Isn't it juicy? Yeah. And it's painful. And it's fun. And it's crazy making. And it's where awakening happens. It doesn't happen on the clouds, on the ultimate reality level. Sometimes we peek into it. We do peek into like, oh yeah, we're all interconnected. Oh, this, this love, this, you know, you might have had moments on this retreat. To to have had this view, from way 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 up above into your own life, other people's life, your connection, your interconnectivity, just the way your life flows, your love flows, just your your heart. Your heart might have been vast and and bursting with love for everyone on this retreat. Maybe, maybe not, but, and yet, we live on this relative level of me, mine, this body. And they're both true. They're both important, not to lose, not to privilege one over the other at all. I wouldn't privilege the ultimate reality over relative at all, or the other way around. They're both just as important. Because, again, privileging one over the other, the ultimate reality, privileging that, can lead to spiritual bypass. And sometimes it can potentially, when not studied and and lived in well, it can go off the rails into nihilism. Nihilism, I've been there, not pretty, but it can go off the rails also. (coughs) So both and, both and. And, you know, through the practicing on this relative level, just to to say again, even though metta feels like we're practicing on a relative level, may I be safe, may I in this body, in this aching body, may I, may you, even though we are practicing on a relative level, metta too connects to an ultimate level. So it's not like metta does not have the ultimate aspect, perspective in it, it has. And for me, when I practice that, when I practice metta, it's, it's, in a way, affirming and tapping into that—that that w- what to me feels like the nature of reality, the nature of universe, made of, made of love. One person who puts this really well, much better than I can, is um, a woman named Anita Morjani. And, um, in her book, Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. So, what happened to her is that she had, um, stage four cancer with, um, metastasized and, um, and nothing was working and she dies she dies in the hospital Um, and she's pronounced dead and she comes back to life I forget after how many minutes so she has what is called a near-death experience and or in short NDE and there are many many cases of NDE reports and I've had an interest in them. So I've read a lot about them. And there are actually nowadays many, um, uh, there are at least two or three, um, um, ER physicians that I know of that have, uh, collected many reports of ND because that's wh- that's where it happens the most where people actually have a cardiac arrest and they are pronounced dead and there's no, Brain activity and heart activity for a few minutes, and then they come back to life. And in many cases, they report um, experiences, memories they've had. Uh, what ha- um, so I've read hundreds of reports, and and, um, and um, can talk more about that. But anyway, in this case, in the ex- the experience that she had, um, and I just to say more, men, you know, regardless of religions and. And um backgrounds so of the people who have these experiences, they often see um they often go through a tunnel of light where at the very end of it there's a being of light, which can actually have have many different shapes um depending on their beliefs <coughs> and a being of light um completely engulfs them with love, unconditional love um And they feel the person who reports this usually always reports, they feel completely loved and held regardless of whether or not they feel they deserve it. They just love completely engulfing them and support and, and holding them. They feel completely safe. So Anita Morjani having had an actually pretty extensive, um, near death experience. I think she was dead for a while. Um, pronounced it for a while. So, she said one of one of the things she says. It's it's actually a very interesting book. Anyway, um, and and just one other thing to say about her after she comes back, after she um, comes back to life, she has a her her all the tumors in her body. She has a miraculous recovery, um, and her case has been reviewed. Uh, gets reviewed by different oncologists from around the world that I think one oncologist tells her, lady, anyway I see it, you should not be alive today. <laughs> <laughs> so. so she says, <coughs> and, and this just to come back to the point I was trying to make, is that the practice of metta we are doing on the relative level, um, I it does connect to the ultimate level, and I think she explains it beautifully in this paragraph. She says, In my NDE state, I realize that the entire universe is composed of unconditional love, and I'm an expression of this. Every atom, molecule, quark, tetraquark is made of love. I can be nothing else because this is my essence and the nature of the entire universe. Even things that seem negative are all part of the infinite, unconditional spectrum of love." So I feel her experience sounds quite moving and complete, and yes, yet I feel we don't have to die and come back to tap into this. And I think with deep states, with really dedicated uh, practice of metta, there are times that our minds, not intentionally, if we try, we can't. It's kind of like a moment of grace. It's like a little bird that sometimes sits on our our little shoulder and flies away. And we can't will it to happen. But, you know, they say awakening is an accident and practice makes you more accident-prone. So as you practice metta, you'll become more accident prone, these kinds of accidents for this little bird to sit on your shoulder and to really feel that this is the fabric of the universe. Love, care, goodness is the fabric of the universe. So again, don't take my word for it, my experience. See it for yourself. I wanted to touch on one other aspect, one other treasure of the heart, one other practice that relates to what we've been practicing and we've mentioned it but I like to share how it relates to the practices we've been doing. So I want to reserve the last 10 minutes for for talking about um, gratitude. How does it fit in? Well first of all probably you, you might have even pra- you might have even had moments of gratitude in the past few days practicing. Actually, anyone experience moments of gratitude the past few days? Please. Wow, that's that's pr- everyone I thought. Yeah, kind of. That's pretty cool. Is isn't it amazing it it naturally comes up from practicing metta? It naturally comes up. It's it's lovely. It's beautiful and where it formally fits in where it kind of formally fits in I would say is um, you know where we talked about the the third Brahma Vihara the third heavenly abode mudita or sympathetic joy or vicarious joy appreciative joy So when you feel sympathetic joy when you're doing mudita practice for other people's happiness, oh, may you you continue to be happy. I'm so happy for your happiness. Yay! That is mudita practice. When you practice it for your own good fortune, I'm so happy for my happiness. Ah, yay, that turns into gratitude. That naturally turns into gratitude. The heart turns into, ah, oh, wow, I'm so grateful for my own happiness, for my own goodwill, for my own blessings. So it naturally kind of relates, it naturally comes up. That's kind of where it gets fit fit in. But you know, we don't practice. As you've noticed these past few days, this practice is not exactly linear right you sit down to practice metta for your dear person and then maybe a difficulty you had with them come up and then oh you're all upset and oh then you're practicing metta for yourself and it becomes compassion for yourself and then like it then becomes oh i'm so grateful for this practice i'm grateful to be at at, at irc oh it becomes a great gra- gratitude practice it's not linear right it's just they all kind of I see some nodding heads and smiles. It's not linear and and it's okay. You're not doing it wrong. Stop. Stop Stop doing gratitude (laughs) practice. Not right now. Go back. Go back to your benefactor. This moment you're doing it wrong. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's not linear. It's okay. It is said that the proximate cause I like this old old language. The proximate cause of gratitude is mindfulness. That makes sense, right? So when you're mindful of something, when you're really paying attention to something, gratitude comes up. So when you're sitting and eating the beautiful, lovingly prepared lunch, when you're sitting and eating it, when you're really noticing the taste, wow, this is pretty grateful I get to eat this. When you get to notice it, instead of so just putting one spoonful into the gratitude may or may not come up, right? But when you're really paying attention to it. So, mindfulness is approximate cause. The shadow side or the far enemy of the gratitude practice is uh, is suppression or should like i should be grateful i should be grateful for this you may not feel grateful for something but y- you, sh- you should be grateful you should be grateful for this whereas you just don't feel grateful so that actually turns out research shows that health-wise health-wise that is bad for you that is bad for your heart it causes heart disease among other things, and so so just beware that in this practice, you know we're practicing if, if gratitude arises, let it be authentic gratitude, what you really feel grateful for, not what you should feel grateful for. If there's something that's a, that seems like a blessing in your life, but you don't feel grateful for it, that's okay. Let it go. There are no shoulds, so that is, because some it, I have seen and read that some people hate gratitude practice, especially you know when you have to write three things down you're grateful for. It's like (laughs) if if it's authentic gratitude, yes, it works, it's great. But if you're forcing yourself to feel gratitude for something you're not feeling grateful for, mouthful, um, then let it go, let it go, let yourself feel the lack of gratitude. Yeah, and that's more authentic. And be with that with kindness. Hold that with kindness. And to say, it's usually easier to be grateful for what is good in our lives. It's more difficult to be grateful for everything Radical gratitude is a challenging practice. It's a challenging practice. I'd like to share a poem by Billy Mills on radical gratitude. Billy Mills was um, was born in the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, and he, wa- he grew up in poverty and was orphaned at age 12. And he turned to sports and took up running and broke a number of high school track records and made it to the 1964 Tokyo mm. Olympics. And he was the first American to ever win the 10,000-meter race in the Olympics. And he's dedicated his life to, to helping and supporting, um, I think, especially young people in Indian reservations. So this, this poem of his is called New Life. Um, it's from his book called New Life and the uh, name of the book is also Wokini, translated to New Life. There are two terms that I want to translate, um, from Native American, um, to as two words in this poem. One is Iktumi, Iktumi means trickster or mischievous spirit. And the other word is Wakantanka, which is the sacred or the divine. So he writes, in my youth I respected the world and life. I needed not anything but peace of heart. And yet I changed despite myself and believed in Iktumi's lies. He seemed to know all the truth he promised to make me happy. He made me ask Wakatanka for wealth that I might have power. I was given poverty that I might find my inner strength. I asked for fame so others would know me. I was given obscurity, that I might know myself. I asked for a person to love, that I might never be alone. I was given a life of a hermit, that I might learn to accept myself. I asked for power, that I might achieve. I was given, away, I was given weakness, that I might learn to obey. I asked for health, that I might lead a long life. I was given infirmity that I might appreciate each minute. I asked Mother Earth for strength, that I might have my way. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need for her. I asked to live happily, that I might enjoy life. I was given life, that I might live happily. I received nothing I asked for, yet all my wishes came true, despite myself and Iktumi My dreams were fulfilled. I am richly blessed more than I ever hoped. I thank you, Vakantanka, for what you have given me. So can we be grateful, not just for what's easy, but for everything, and also for what is difficult. The practice, again, there are no shoulds. The practice becomes really dropping in a question. Can I be grateful for this too? Whatever this is, can I be grateful for this too? And if the answer comes, no, I can be right now. Then Okay, let it go. Don't push it. But you would be amazed how creative you, your mind, your heart can be finding ways, finding reasons, finding particular perspectives for gratitude, where it's all perfect just as it is. Can I be grateful for this difficult relationship? For how I'm challenged to open my heart? Can I love, can I just be with things just as they are? Let's just sit together for a moment and let the words pass. read a poem with our eyes closed by E.E. Cummings. It's called I Thank You God for this for most this amazing. I thank you God for most this amazing day for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and the blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural which is infinite which is yes I who have died alive again today and this is the Sun's birthday this is the birth day of life and of love and wings and of the gay great happening illimitability Im- illimitably earth let me try that again this is the birth day of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any, lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable you? Now the ears of my ears awake. And now the eyes of my eyes are opened. E.E. Cummings. Thank you for your kind attention and if I have said anything that might have caused you harm, I ask you for your forgiveness.